Jesus, okay? Glad y'all got up this morning. Okay, well, today we're continuing with a message series I'm calling In the Zone. Because, I don't know about you, but when we get into the dog days of summer, what's called the lazy days of summer, we really tend to kind of zone out. In fact, I'll tell you something interesting happened. Teresa and I, the first time we ever went to Hawaii, we've been there two or three times, the first time we ever went to Hawaii, went for our 20th wedding anniversary, and the first time we ever went, I told her after we'd been there four or five days, I said, I couldn't live here very long. She said, why not? I said, you get so spiritually lazy. And you do. There's something about Hawaii that just spiritually almost puts you to sleep. So what we decided to do to kind of shake things up so you'll zone in today is is start the service with a surprise. And I am doing something. And it's always neat at my age to do something I've never done before. And I have never in my entire life started a service with a message. You know, you always, we kind of always do it the same way. You start with an opening song, we have the announcements, everybody greet one another. Then we sing some more, and then I get up and preach the song. So we thought we'd kind of shake it up. And so I do want to remind you that we're actually just flipping things, and the service is not over when the sermon is over, okay? Because we're going to have worship at the end. We've got a great worship set, and uh, you'll enjoy it. Let me tell you what Teresa and I did. We had a lot of fun in the last month. We just redid our last will. That's a lot of fun. You know, when you're thinking about the fact you're going to die and you're going to check out and you're going to leave this planet, I mean, it's kind of a sobering thing, but we're at that age and stage of life when we really felt like we really needed to kind of redo our last will and testament. So I'm I'm meeting with these attorneys and and I'm talking to them about how, you know, structure what we're going to leave. And and quite frankly, and I'm not here to tell you how to do what you're going to do as far as, you know, your, your will and testament. And I hope you have one. If you don't, you ought to have one, no matter whether you're young or old, because you never know when you're going to die. But I'm just kind of, as I've matured and grown older, a lot of people just say, oh, it's easy, just one sentence, leave it all to the kids. We're not going to do that. We're going to leave something, but, but we really want our money to continue to work for the Lord afterwards. And so uh, as we were kind of going through, you know, what, what if, if we have an, an estate left after we're gone, what we would do, they revealed to me a problem I hadn't thought about and I really had not anticipated because the easy thing to do is, is, is okay, you know, what are you going to do with your retirement, your savings, the equity in the house, whatever you may have in a 401k or whatever. That's kind of the easy thing. Here's what got difficult. After I began to f- be forced to kind of consider what I had, I realized that the most valuable things that I have is none of those things I just mentioned. Actually, the most valuable things that I have are some letters, three in particular that are, that are all personally signed. We're going to pull them up on the screen. Uh, this is a personal letter that was sent to me by uh, President Bush when he was in, in the White House. And, uh, and then you're going to see a letter that was signed, and it was sent to me by uh, President George H.W. Bush. We can throw that up there. There's another letter from, from, from his father. And, and, and then this is a letter we're going to throw up on the screen that was personally signed by Dr. Billy Graham. And, and, and I realized that some of these are just priceless. I mean, can you imagine what, 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 how, how, can you imagine what it would be like to have a letter signed by George Washington or a letter signed by, you know, by Abraham Lincoln? And I realized these are family heirlooms. This is something that probably my family will want to keep for generations to come. And, and so then I realized as I was talking with these attorneys, this thought hit me. I said, you know, My sons, all three of them, already have in their possession a far more valuable collection of letters. As a matter of fact, 
They're so valuable that the worth really can't be calculated because the information contained in these letters doesn't just have earthly significance like the letters I just showed you. It has eternal significance. And of course, I'm talking about the Bible. Now, you say, wait a minute, I thought you were talking about letters. Well, the Bible, in, in effect, really is a collection of letters. As a matter of fact, you already know that over half the New Testament are letters that were written to churches. The book of Proverbs is a letter that was written from a father to a son. You might call them God's love letters to the world. And if you think about it, let me tell you how valuable these letters are. It is the only book in the world, the only book that literally contains the secret to eternal life. No other book has it except this book. It is the only book that is God's direct revelation of who he is. If you want to know what God's like, if you want to know what his character is, you read the Bible. It is the only book that contains the only message of true salvation to the world. It is the only book that gives us the divine standard of what is right and what is wrong. And it is the only book where God speaks his very thoughts to us. What's in the mind and what is in the heart of God, he's communicated the same way we communicate. I'm communicating to you in this message all the things I've thought about that I wanted you to hear today. That's exactly what God has done in his word. God has said everything that I think that's important to you, everything in my mind and my heart that you need to know is going to be found in this book. So let me give you a 21st century analogy. How many of you ever text message with your phone? How many of you do that? All right. Let me tell you what the Bible is. The Bible is God's text message to you. That's really what it is. It is God's text message to you. And even though it was written to all of us collectively, it's also very pertinent and very powerful and very personal to us individually. Because the Bible is God's primary way of speaking to me. And the Bible is God's primary way of speaking to you. Now, the problem that I want to address this morning is this. God is speaking, but very few people are listening. You say, how do you know that? By the way we live, by the way we practice or don't practice our faith, by how little different we really are from our next door neighbor who never attends church. God's speaking, but very few of us are listening. And, and see, I have a desire. We had a strong desire. As we planned these messages that we're doing this summer, I, I have a desire that you zone in go on God like you've never zoned in before. And that you get into a place in your life where God can zone in on you, maybe like he never has before, because any athlete knows what it means to be in the zone. Baseball players say that we're in, that we're, that we're, they're really in the zone. They say every pitch looks as big. Um, I don't know what that is. Um, I think that may have been my heart because so few people came in to hear me preach. Um, <laughs> baseball players say that they're in the zone. When they're in the zone, every pitch looks like the ball is, is as big as a watermelon. Ten tennis players say that when they're in the zone, it looks like the ball is just setting up and traveling in so, slow motion. Basketball players say that we're in the zone. They say the basket looks as big as the ocean. If you like to play golf, you get into a zone. The other day, I was playing golf the other day. First three holes, I was one under. Don't ask me what I did in the last 15, but the first three holes, I, I was kind of in a zone. Well, I have learned God wants me to live my life in the zone. God wants you to live your life in the zone, not just occasionally, not just randomly, but daily. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that begins with reading the Bible on a daily basis. 
and listening to God on a daily basis and letting God speak to you on a daily basis. And, and I want to give you a little personal testimony. I, I want to, uh, you know, kind of tell you where I am in my own life. I've been a follower of Jesus Christ since I was nine years old. I, almost 50 years I've been following Christ. And as I look back on all those years as a follower of Jesus Christ from the time I was nine years old to the present day, I want to be very honest. I can honestly tell you that the greatest single thing I have done in my life, the one thing that has made the greatest difference in my life as a follower of Jesus Christ was a habit that I started when I was, a, when I was really about 15, 16, 17 years of age. And for, for over 40 years of my life, unless I'm absolutely sick as a dog, I read my Bible every single day. When I'm on vacation, I read my Bible. If I'm traveling overseas on an airplane, I read my Bible. If I'm overseas on a mission trip, I read my Bible. I don't, and that's one thing I don't ever, ever purposely try to take a day off. Every single day, I read my Bible. And I can tell you that getting in God's Word every day has saved me more heartache and given me more wisdom and protected me from more mistake, mistakes and infused me with more comfort and provided me with more encouragement than anything else I have ever done in my life. I want to say it one more time. Nothing I have done in my Christian life, not going to church, not hearing sermons, not sharing my faith, nothing has grown me, nothing has matured me, nothing has strengthened me, nothing has blessed me, nothing has encouraged me more than reading my Bible. And I want to tell you up front, I, I have a plan. I've got a method to my madness. I know I'm going to fail with some of you because some of you, no matter what I say, you're not going to do it. But I'm going to warn you up front. I'm going to do everything in my power in the next couple of weeks. I mean every single thing I can that I know to do. I'm going to do everything I can to motivate you and to move you to begin the habit of reading your Bible every day. Because you think about it. If, if God were to text you, if you knew that you had a hotline to God, if, you're, if your phone made a certain kind of a different sound every time it was God texting you, no matter where you were or what you were doing, if you heard that sound, you'd say, man, I want to know what God says to me. Well, again, the Bible, this is God's text message to you. And every day, God has something new He wants to say to you. Every day, God has something fresh He wants to say to you. Every day, God's some, got some different insight He wants to give you. And I'm going to do everything I can to get you to read your Bible every day. So, if you brought a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn. In, about in the middle of every Bible I've ever seen is a book called Psalms. It's the, it's, it's the Hebrew hymn book. It's a book of songs. And I want you to turn to the book of Psalms, and then I want you to turn to Psalm 119. It is the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, it's found about in the middle of the Bible. And when you read Psalm 119, let me tell you what's really interesting. Let's see, just, let's just kind of see how well some of you know your Bible. What is primarily, what is the longest chapter in the Bible all about? Somebody tell me. Anybody know? It's about the Bible. Isn't that interesting? That the longest chapter in the Bible is all about the Bible. And this chapter tells us time after time after time, in verse after verse after verse, the benefits of reading the Bible and the blessings of knowing the Bible and what happens to people who, get, who decide on a daily basis, I'm going to read this book and I'm going to heed this book. I'm going to learn this book and I'm going to live this book. Now, we're going to focus in on just one verse today. 
All these verses, one verse. You found Psalm 119. Now look in verse 105. Many of you, if you went to Bible school as a kid, and I did, this, was, this is a verse that we, everybody learned in Bible school. We, in fact, it even had a little song that went to it. I'm not going to sing it because I'm full of grace this morning, but uh, it, it, it used to be a little song, okay? And the verse is, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How many remember the little song that went, went by that? Remember that little song? Your word is a lamp unto, remember that? To my feet and a light unto my, I couldn't help it, my path, okay? I remember singing that as as a kid, and I really am a great singer, by the way. But whether you believe it or not. Now, keep in mind that when the psalmist wrote these words, he was talking about a book that was already hundreds and hundreds of, and hundreds of years old. He wasn't talking about something that had just been published. He wasn't something talking about something hot off the press. This was a book that, it, that, that, the, that, the, that the, the books that had already been written about this book and in this book, this book was already hundreds of years old. And I want you to notice, this is what is interesting to me. The only verb in this verse is in the present tense. He doesn't say, your word was a lamp unto my feet. He doesn't say your word was a light unto my path. He says your word is on a daily basis. It's a lamp unto my feet today. It will be a lamp unto my feet tomorrow. It's a light unto my path today. It will be a light unto my path tomorrow. And immediately that tells us something about the Bible and why we need to read it. Now, I want you to fill in this blank. I'm going to throw a sentence up on the screen. I want to fill in this blank. Okay, you ready? You only need a lamp and a light if you are in the what? Dark. You only need a lamp and a light if you are in the dark. So I got a question. Why does he call the Bible a lamp and why does he call the Bible a light? If you think about it, it's real simple. Every one of us in this room, without exception, were born in spiritual darkness. We were born completely in the dark when it comes to really knowing what is right and what is wrong. That's why one of the primary jobs of a parent from the time that child is born is to teach that child, this is right, this is wrong. You are to, you, you're to, you know, you're to, to be sweet to mommy and sweet to daddy. You're not to pull the hair of baby brother. You're not to stick gum in the head of baby sister. These are certain things they, they don't know. This is right and this is wrong. <laughs> we're in the dark. You know, think about it. Think about how often we're in the dark about many of the big decisions that we, we have to make in this life. For example, well, should I marry that person or not? Should I take that job or not? Should, <clears throat> should I get involved in this organization or this activity or not? I mean, you know, you think about the fact that we worry because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The truth of the matter is we don't even know what's going to happen in the next second. I could drop dead on this platform before I finish preaching. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Why? We're in the dark. And when you're in the dark, the only thing that will help you is light. And that's where the Bible comes in. That's why I've entitled my message this morning, Flip the Switch. Because every day, I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. Every day when you get up, you are walking into a day filled with darkness. You are walking into the dark. You don't have a clue what's going to happen that day. You don't have a clue where it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. And you had better be walking in the light so you won't be walking in the dark. And every time, listen, every time you open this 
book. You know what you just did? You just flipped the switch. Every time you open this book, you just turned on the lamp. Every time you open this book, you shined the light. So you won't be walking in the dark. You'll be walking in the light of what God says to you and what God wants for you. Now, I thought about when I come to a verse like this, I really try to break down every word of it. And and so I ask myself the question, all right, why does he call it a lamp and a light? Why not just call it a lamp or why not just call it a light? But he, he was very specific. He said, this book is a lamp unto my feet. And it is a light unto my path. And then I, I started thinking about it. And I said, I know why he did it. He's so brilliant. A lamp shows you where you are. A light shows you where to go. A lamp pinpoints your present destination. A light points out your future direction. And when you use that analogy, let me tell you why you need to flip the switch of your Bible every day. Let me tell you why every day of your life you need to turn on the lamp and you need to shine the light every day. Listen carefully. Before you can understand what the Bible is to you, you have to understand what the Bible does for you. And that's why the psalmist uses this metaphor of a lamp and a light. Because I used to wonder, you know, why are the words lamp and light used together? And then I realized if you go back to Bible days, a lamp was used inside the house while a light was used outside the house. So in other words, if you want to know where you are in your house, you turn on the lamp. On the other hand, if you're leaving the house and you want to know where to go and it's dark outside, you want to make sure that you take the right path. You want to make sure you don't stumble or fall. You, don't, you can't take a lamp. You take a light. And so using those two metaphors, I want to show you what the Bible does, and I want to show you why it's important that you flip the switch on a daily basis. Just a couple of things I want you to jot down on the back of your order of worship. Okay, number one. The reason why we need to read the Bible every day is because the Bible tells us what to believe. The Bible tells us what to believe. Now, let's listen to those words again. He says, your word is a lamp. Now, every word is important, not to my eyes, not even to my heart or to my mind or to my soul. He said, your word is a lamp to my feet. Now, let me tell you a physiological truth, okay? I figured this out the other day. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not. Wherever your feet are, there you are also. That took me 50 plus years to figure that out. But that finally hit me. Wherever your feet are, there you are also. It is physiologically impossible to be somewhere where your feet are not. For example, you can't be downstairs if your feet are upstairs. Can't happen. You can't, you, you, you can't be in the attic if your feet are in the basement. And a lamp cannot tell, a lamp can not only tell you where you are, it, a lamp can do more than that. It can tell you whether or not you're standing on a bad place or a good place. Let me tell you what happened last night. Teresa walked into the bathroom, turns on the light. When she turned on the light, you know what she almost stepped on? A scorpion. If she hadn't turned on the light, could have been bitten. She didn't know what was there. But the reason why she, because you know, you know how you turn on the light, the, normally the first thing you do is you look down. That lamp told her, hey, you're not in a good place here. 
This is not healthy for you. By the way, did you know the term Bible? This is really kind of interesting. Did you know the term Bible is never found in the Bible? That's kind of interesting. The term Bible is never found not once in the Bible. In fact, the word Bible really isn't even a biblical term. Do you know what the number one biblical term is for itself? You know what the number one thing the Bible calls itself? Scriptures. Scriptures. Now, why? Luke puts it this way, Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, let me tell you why I think the Bible refers to itself primarily as scriptures. The term scriptures comes from the Greek word graphe. Uh, that gives us the English word graph, and it literally means that which is written. So God made sure that he wanted us to know what was literally written down. He was so interested that we know what we're to believe and, 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 and how we're to God our life. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write it down. And I believe the reason that he wanted us to have something to hold in our hand and to place in our heart. The reason why he wanted me to have this book so he could guide me in what to believe. When, when I'm not sure about what to believe about this or believe about that, when the culture is going one way and I believe God's going another way or when, when everybody's saying this but it doesn't seem right to my heart, he says, okay, James, this is what I'm going to put in your hand. This is what I'm going to put in your heart to guide you in what you believe. Now, let me tell you why it's so important. This is so big for me as a pastor. Let me tell you why it's so important that you read your Bible every day. And let me tell you why it's so important that you get the guidance of what you're going to believe by coming to the Bible every single day. I want you to listen. We're going to get a little bit deep here, but I want you to listen to me. There are two ditches that the church can fall into when it gets away from the Bible. And it gets away from the authority of the Bible. And when you start letting anything except the Bible have the final say in your life. Now, let me, in fact, you don't need to turn to it, but if you want to, to Matthew 16, verse 6. Let me just throw it up on the screen. Jesus was talking to the disciples one time, and here's what he said. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, the two groups that gave Jesus the most trouble were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so he's talking to them, and, and he's saying, you be very careful. You be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, let me ask you a question. What did he mean by the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? I want you to write two things down, two words. The yeast of the Pharisees was legalism. That was their yeast. Now, legalism, is, is, let me tell you what legalism is. It's real simple. When you substitute your opinion for God's word, you're a legalist. When, when you substitute what you think is right, what you think is best, what you think you ought to follow for God's word, when you substitute your personal preferences for biblical convictions, when you allow someone else's opinion to take precedence over the authority of the Bible, you have become a legalist. Now, I'm just going to give you some very specific examples. You ready? Some people think it's absolutely wrong if you don't have church on Sunday night. When I started, when I started Cross Point eight years ago, I got a letter. I could tell you, I could tell you the man's initials. You probably know, many of you know who it is. It used to be one of my dear friends. I got an email from this guy, and he raked me over the coals. I mean, let me have it with everything in his arsenal because I wasn't going to have church on Sunday night. There are some people who think that if you're a Baptist church, that you ought to have Baptist in your name. 
There, there are some people that think it's wrong if a pastor doesn't wear a suit and a tie. And, and, and let me just tell you, legalism is not just a problem in, 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 in the Christian church. It's a, I found this out. Legalism doesn't have, it doesn't play favorites. It, it's in every, uh, every other religion. I'm going to give you just one example. This is kind of funny. In a question and answer column in an Egyptian newspaper, a Muslim uh, sent in this question, sent it to a Muslim cleric. If a woman gets out of the bath naked, now listen to this, if a woman gets out of the bath naked and there is a dog in the apartment, has she done anything forbidden? Now, I'm not making this up. This expert on Islamic law gave this answer. It depends on the dog. If the dog is male, the woman has done something which is forbidden. Now, how about that? All right? Here was another question. Same one to this Muslim cleric. While I pray, a woman goes by. Is my prayer valid or not? While I pray, a woman walks by. Is my prayer valid or not? Here was the answer. I'm just giving you the answer. If a donkey, a woman, or a black dog goes by, the prayer must be repeated. Why? The donkey is an impure animal. The black dog could be Satan in disguise, and women are impure regardless. That's, that's what the Muslim says. I'll give you another example. I remember growing up in church. I grew up not too far, I about 35 miles from a little country community. And I remember going to my church. You remember what I used to hear people gripe about all the time? I mean, it was a, it was a scandal. Women wearing pantsuits to church. So you remember those days, don't you? Can you believe? Now, they wouldn't say anything if it was Harper Valley PTA coming to a dress up to here. They, that's okay. But don't you wear a pantsuit. <laughs> I remember people complaining if a man's hair touched his collar, they got bent out of shape. They got hung up on the way people dress, whether or not you ought to. Oh, here's another one. I don't know why we don't use hymnals. That, 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 that was another one. You know, and they got hung up. I believe men ought to wear suits. Women ought to wear dresses. Now, let me just be honest with you. Everybody has a right to their opinion. I don't, you know, if you, you, you're, you, know, if you feel like you ought to have church on Sunday night, fine. You think a preacher ought to be in a suit? You know, you have your opinion. Here's what I'm telling you. When you confuse your opinion with biblical conviction and biblical truth, you're a legalist. And Jesus said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. That's legalism. Now, there's also the living of the Sadducees. What is that? That is liberalism. One is legalism. That's one ditch we can fall into. The other is liberalism. Now, you remember who the Sadducees were, right? The Sadducees did not believe in what? Somebody tell me. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Now, that's why they were sad, you see. Okay? They were Sadducees. They did not believe in the resurrection. Be, listen, I'll tell the jokes. You laugh, all right? They were sad, you see. They did not believe in the resurrection. Now, you keep one thing in mind. This is important. When you refuse to use the Bible as the sole guide for what you believe, it's not just that you'll believe the wrong things. Here's the problem. Then you'll start believing anything. When you get away from the Bible, you know what you'll start debating? Should we ordain homosexuals or not? Can a homosexual or a fornicator practicing that have no repentance, no remorse, a thief, a liar, a swindler, can they really be believers? I mean, is, is it really, you know, that big of a deal? That then if you're not careful, you'll get to the point where in your mind, and here's this danger part, then you just start trashing those parts of the Bible you don't agree with and those parts of the Bible you don't like. I read it. This is a true story. Told, this was told by an orthopedic surgeon in Miami, Florida. He was in medical school. 
And he had a teacher who's, who's, who, who would give up and give these lectures. And in almost every class, he would contradict something that was in the textbook, almost every class. Well, after one particular class, he walked up to the professor and he said, uh, he said Professor, he said, I've been reading my text. I've been listening to your lectures. And, and, and quite frankly, there, you know, there are various points that, that your lectures disagree with the textbook that's assigned for the class. And the professor said, really? He said, well, well bring me your textbook and let, just show me where all these disagreements are. So the student went to several pages, and he pointed out this contradiction, he pointed out that contradiction. And the professor said, would you mind writing down those page numbers for me? And so he wrote those page numbers down. And then with that as a guide, he said, could I see your textbook? And he said, yes. And the professor very calmly and yet with great purpose went to every one of those pages he had written down and ripped them right out of the book, wadded them up, tossed them in the trash can, handed the book back to the student and said, there, now your book agrees with me. <laughs> and that's what some of us do with our Bible. If there's something in the Bible we don't like, we just tear it out. If there's something in the Bible we don't agree with, we just rip it out. We do it when it comes to divorce. We do it when it comes to giving. We do it when it comes to sharing our faith. We do it when it comes to handling conflicts the right way. We do it when it comes to going to someone that's done us wrong and doing it privately rather than spreading it all over, all the, all over the church to somebody else. We just say, well, I just rip it out. And, and, and let me tell you two page rippers we use in the church when it comes to what the Bible really says. Here, there's are two of the biggest page rippers. You ready? Page ripper number one, we've never done it that way before. We, we just, you know, we just, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. If we've never done it that way before, we just rip it out. You know, the other page ripper is, but we've always done it this way. I mean, we, we, we just always do it. The, the organ's always been on this side. The paint's always been green. We, we just always kind of done it this way. We've always started our services at 11 o'clock on Sunday. I mean, you know, you know and, and so it doesn't matter whether it's Bible-based or not. We just kind of rip it out. And I'm telling you this morning, we will save ourselves a whole lot of heartache, needless, pointless arguments, and a lot of high-blood-pressure medicine if we'll simply let the Bible be the lamp that will guide us in what we are to believe. Now, once you let the Bible guide you to what you believe, that's the lamp part. Then we come to the second part, and that is the Bible tells us how to behave. Once the Bible tells you how to believe, you know why that follows? You know what? You know, can I, I can tell every one of you what you base your beliefs on, what you, really, what you base your behavior on. You base your behavior on what you really believe. Everything else is just talk. For example, you say, I believe people without Christ are going to hell. Whether you tell people about Jesus, well, no, I don't tell people about Jesus, then you really don't believe that. Well, I, you know, I, I really believe that, that you can't outgive God. We talked about this last week. I really believe you cannot outgive God, and I really believe that when you give, God will give back to you. Would you say you're a strong giver? Well, no, not really. Then you really don't believe that. What you really believe, you behave, everything else is just talk. So the Bible not only tells us what to believe, it tells us how to behave. Look at the second part of the verse. The Bible is a lamp to my feet. It is a light for my path. And again, every word here is very important. Remember, your feet refer to where you are. This is what I believe. This is where I'm taking my stand. That's what the lamp is for. That's what the feet are for. The path refers to where you are going. It's when you say, okay, I'm going to take what I believe, and as I walk down the path of life, that's going to guide how I behave. So the lamp talks about what you believe. The light talks about how you behave. Psalm 37, 23 says this, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. 
You see, one of the reasons why it's so important that you read your Bible on a daily basis is very simple. God is very interested in the steps you take every day in your life. God, today, I don't know where your feet are going to lead you. I don't know what path you're going to take, but I know this. God cares about it. God's interested in it. God wants to know where are you going to walk today and why are you going to walk there and what are you going to do once you get there? So it's not just how you believe, it's how you behave. And the way he guides you to take the right path and the way he guides you to do the right thing is through his word. One of my favorite verses in scripture is this. It's Proverbs 2.20. Thus you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. That's one of the prayers I pray for my life every day. Every day I'll say, Lord, today, just for today, help me to walk in the way of good men and help me to keep to the paths of the righteous. But that raises a question. How do you find the way of goodness? And, and how do you know how to find the path of righteousness? And how do you know where it leads? Well, the answer is the Bible. It, it is in the Bible where God guides our steps to make sure that we stay in the way of goodness and we keep to the path of righteousness. And you see, here's what happens. When you read your Bible and then you decide, okay, I'm going to take what I've read today, I'm going to apply it to my life, and I'm going to obey it. When that happens, guess what? Just automatically, it's just, it's just automatic. You'll automatically take the right steps, and you'll automatically be on the right path. It just, it just happens. Now, I want to get serious for just a moment and personal for just a moment, and, and, and I want to ask you some questions. I'm, be, I'm dead serious about this. I want to think about it. Does anybody here, as you look back over your past life, and don't raise your hand, I'm not asking that, just, I'm just being honest. As you look back over your life, do you have any regrets? I mean, any regrets at all? Now, let me, let me kind of drill a little bit deeper. Are there things that you look back on in your past life that you did that you wished you hadn't done. If you could do those sort of things, if you could do life over again, there are some things you've done you would not have done. Or, as you look back on your past, would you say there are things that you wished you had done that you didn't do? To get a little more personal, anybody here have any skeletons in their closet? Anything in your life that you're glad I don't know about and nobody else does? Anybody here have any relational regrets? Anybody here have any financial regrets? Anybody here have any marital regrets? You say, well, why, 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 would you, why are you bringing that? I mean, I was feeling good until this part of the sermon. I mean, why, would, why would you even bring this up? For this reason. You go back and analyze all those regrets. You go back and analyze all those mistakes. You go back and analyze all those things you didn't do you wished you had done and all those things you did do you wished you had not done. And if you'll think about it, it was because of one primary reason. Some way, somehow, you got out from under the authority of the Bible. Some way, somehow, you failed to apply what the Bible teaches is true. And by the way, don't take my word for that. I want you to listen to two verses in this same chapter, Psalm 119. Go back up to verse 9. Listen to this. How can a young man keep his way pure? If you're a young person today, if you're, say, 25 years old or, or younger, 
You want to stay pure before God. You want to make sure you do the right thing. You want to make sure as you go through your life, because you've got the most of your life still to live ahead of you, you want to make sure that you minimize your mistakes. Well, how can you do that? Here's what he says, by living according to your word. But you can't live the word if you don't learn the word. You cannot apply and obey what you do not know. So that's why it's so important. Every day you flip the switch, you turn on the lamp, you shine the light. Verse 11 tells us this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist said, if you're a young person and you want to get to the end of your life and look back and have minimal regrets, here's how you keep your way pure. You know what the Bible says and you obey it. You do what it tells you to do. You know, Listen, do you know the best way to fight temptation every day when you go out to work or you go out to school, you go out to play? He says, you treasure God's Word in your heart, and it will guard you against doing the wrong thing. Let, let me give you an illustration we live with every day. Um, becoming computer literate is a consistent work in progress for me. And I really do. Listen, if you don't believe in demons, buy a computer. So you got to forget the Bible. Just buy a computer. My Brad Brown, one of our deacons, is, is my computer geek. And I'll call him once a week, and I'll say, here's what I'll say. He'll, he'll start laughing. I'll say, the demons have struck again. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're real. And, and so I, becoming a computer literate person is a constant work in progress. Now, I've come a long way from where I was when computers first came out. But let me tell you one thing I've learned about a computer. This is true about every computer in the world. Every computer only has so much memory. And once the hard drive on a computer is full, it won't take any more data. So you either have to basically live with what you've got, or you've got to transfer some old files off the hard drive onto something else to make room, because when the hard drive is full, it won't accept any more files. Now listen, this is so important. Your heart and your mind is just like a computer. And when the hard drive of your heart and the hard drive of your mind is full of God's Word, then neither sin nor Satan can find any place to store his files. There won't be any room because there's not enough memory. Someone once said, read the Bible to be saved, practice it to be wise, believe it to be wise, and practice it to be holy. And then the psalmist says in verse 133, direct my footsteps according to your Word. Let no sin rule over me. That is so, I mean, so powerful. He said, look, if you allow God's Word to direct your steps, if you'll flip the switch and turn on the lamp so you'll know what to believe, flip the switch and shine the light so you'll know where you need to go, if you'll read your Bible every day so you'll know where you are and then you'll know where you need to be, then you'll never be in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person doing the wrong thing. It's impossible. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Let me tell you what's going to happen today and next week. I'll tell you what some of you are doing right now. You are already thinking up all kinds of reasons why you don't read your Bible on a daily basis. You're thinking up all kinds of reasons why you're not going to read your Bible on a daily basis. Well, let me just do this for you. I, I'm going to share with you next week the three major reasons why you don't read your Bible. I, I'm going to deal with every one of those next week. Why, why, why don't I read my Bible? You know, I don't like to read. I, I don't understand it. I just don't get anything out of it. I mean, I, you know, I've heard them all before. I'm going to deal with all of those next week. And I'm going to help you get to a point where you'll want to read your Bible because I'm going to give you some tools and resources that will help you to read your Bible in a way that will make you want to read it. But here's what I'd like to do this morning. I want to close with an assignment. I want, I, want to, I want to practically apply my message, and I want to give you one last quote. I believe that God wants to speak to you just like he speaks to me. 
I believe that God wants to text a message to you every day just like I know God texts a message to me every day. So I'm going to give you a simple assignment. I'm going to ask you, I think every one of you in order of your order of service, you got a card. Everybody pull that card out. Everybody got a card? Pull the card out and look, look at the card. I'm going to ask you, this is so easy, I'm going to ask you to do one thing this week. I'm going to ask you to read a passage in the Bible every day. I've already assigned the passage. Monday, Genesis 1. Tuesday, Genesis 3. Wednesday, Matthew 1. Thursday, Luke 24. Friday, Acts 1. Then what I want you to do is at the bottom of this, of, of this card, I want you to answer these questions. What is the main theme of this lesson? Well, you read Genesis 1, and you, if, you, if you had to tell somebody in one sentence what that chapter said, what would, what would you say? So you write that down. Second question. What is the greatest truth that I learned? Whatever that is. Now, everybody, if your truth may be different than mine, that's okay. And then here is what I want you to do. When you get to Friday, I want you to write this down. This is, this is why you may need to go back and review. How do these five chapters fit together? Because I didn't just, by the way, I didn't just kind of, you know, reach into a hat and pull out these five verses. I had a purpose. So I'm going to give you a little clue. You ready? In those five chapters, you basically have the storyline of the Bible. In those five chapters, you basically have the storyline of the Bible. Now, in the lobby today, we've got something I want to give you free of charge. There's a notebook. You see this notebook right here? There's a notebook. And you can use this notebook to store our messages. You you probably notice, maybe you have it in the the back of your order of worship. We have holes punched in. Those those are to fit this notebook. And if you would like to start bringing this and get an order of worship and just plug it in, where make you this will be so. And you can just have reams and reams and reams and reams of notebooks of the messages that I preach. And by the way, you say, well, now, Pastor, if I do that, I got all these messages. Then if I ever teach a lesson, or if I ever go out and I'm speaking, can I use it? My bullet will fit your gun. Shoot it. No problem. Because God gets the glory for it anyway, okay? What I don't want you to do is come up to me and go, you know, I, I think I've heard that message. You preached that message five years ago. You know, I've got people that do that. I hate people like that. Yeah, and you say, oh, you repeat messages? Absolutely, because you don't remember what I preached last week, next week. So, I mean, that's why I do it. But here's my point. This is for you. It doesn't cost you a dime. And if you'd like to do it, feel free to take one. We'd love for you to do that, okay? By the way, we also, if out there, free of charge, this is a Bible reading. This is a plan that you could use to read your Bible year-long all the way through. We've got that out there. It's absolutely free on the table out there. Online, we have a number of resources to help you listen to God speak to you through His Word each day. All you got to do, here's the website, crosspointchurch.com backslash Bible. That's it, crosspointchurch backslash.com Bible. You can learn more. Now, I want to close with a quote by one of the most popular authors and Bible teachers of the 20th century, one of my personal favorites, Chuck Swindoll. Many of you have heard of Chuck Swindoll. Some of you haven't. Let me tell you who Chuck Swindoll was. Chuck Swindoll was Max Lucado before Max Lucado. Okay, that's who he was. He he was my version of Max Lucado. And he made a statement that really says it better than I could ever say it, and I want to put it on the screen. If I could have only one wish for God's people, it would be that all of us would return to the Word of God that we would realize once for, and for all that his book has the answers. The Bible is the authority. It is the final resting place of our cares, our worries, our griefs, our tragedies, our sorrows, and our surprises. It is the final answer to our questions and our search. 
Turning back to the Scriptures will provide something that nothing else on the earth will provide. I believe that to be true, and I'll tell you why. The most important reason you ought to read your Bible every day is this. Because this book is all about one person, and his name is Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus opened up the Scriptures after he was raised from the dead, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, explained everything concerning himself. Nobody has changed my life like Jesus. Nobody. Nobody will change your life like Jesus. Nobody. And every time you flip the switch, turn on the lamp, shine the light, you come face to face with Jesus. Let's pray together. This lamp and this light, by the way, tells us something. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You said, wait a minute. I thought the Word of God is the light. Jesus is the Word. The Word is all about Him, and He is the Word. And this Word tells us that this Jesus died on the cross, that He was raised from the dead, and He came and died for our sins so that we might be saved. <clears throat> and this church exists for the primary purpose, number one, of glorifying God, and number two, seeing lost people come to Christ. And if you walked into this worship center this morning and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, you have never trusted Christ with your heart and your life, you do not know what it, you've never been born again, you've never received Jesus into your heart, whether you're a child or a teenager or a single person or married or older or younger, I want to just give you that opportunity to do that. Because I, I will be honest, you really can't read the Bible and you really can't understand the Bible until you come to Jesus. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you would say, I want to obey the Bible when it comes to being saved. The Bible says if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so today, would you just pray this prayer with me? Would you just say, Lord Jesus, I need to be saved. I am a sinner. And the pastor was so right. <laughs> I've done things in my life I wished I hadn't done, and I've not done some things I wished I had. And this is one of them. I've never given you my heart, and I've never given you my life. So, Lord Jesus, today I confess I'm a sinner. I confess and surrender my life to you as my Lord. I trust you as my Savior. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I repent and turn away from my sins. And I give you my life. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to take out that card, that registration card that's in your order of worship. And I want you to fill that, sign that card. I want you to give us your contact information, email or phone number or whatever. And I want you to check off that box that says, Today I prayed to receive Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And then there's some of you here today, and perhaps you have been saved, but you've never been biblically baptized. You know, when you read the Bible, one of the things you learn, the very first thing God demands, demands of a believer is to be baptized. And you get baptized after you become a believer, not before. That's why we don't baptize or sprinkle infants, because it's not biblical. We do things the Bible way. And whenever someone is baptized, it's their way of publicly professing their faith in Jesus Christ. It's their way of saying... I want the Bible to be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that's what these people are saying to you who are being baptized this morning. This is Brooke Firestein. Brooke grew up in a 
Christian environment. Recently, though, she felt like that uh, her, her baptism was not real. She was baptized as a young child and believed that uh, maybe it was not real. She didn't know what she was doing. And uh, recently, she talked with a pastor and met with him, and he advised her that maybe she needs to do this. And so she's coming today uh, to publicly profess her faith in Christ and follow the Lord in baptism. Brooke, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What is your testimony today? Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And because he is your Lord and Savior and your willingness to be obedient concerning baptism, then I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in his death, raised to walk in newness of life. This is Michael Clark. Michael has been wrestling with his salvation for several weeks. He knew something was not right. He met with our pastor this past week, and right in his office, Michael received Christ as personal Savior, and he came out.